Hey there, this is Ian Pruckner, and welcome to the Byproduct Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Ian Pruckner. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Byproduct Podcast. And it is always an honor to spend a little bit of time with you getting better together because when we get better, things get better. When we get better, things get better. And today, we're talking about culture shock. We're talking about culture shock, creating winning cultures. Folks, listen, culture is everything. Culture is important to all of us. It should be important to all of us because eventually we're going to have to live in its outcomes. We're all going to be living in the outcomes of the cultures that we create. And to understand, okay, that as leaders, we are the creators, stewards, and multipliers of the culture. Let me say that again. We are the creators, stewards, and multipliers of the culture. See, we are all in a culture, no matter if you're the leader or a leader inside of an organization, we are all living inside of cultures. We have cultures in our family. We have cultures in our workplace. We have cultures in our churches and in our sports teams. Culture is everywhere. Culture is everywhere. What are we doing about creating winning cultures? See, if you create the culture, the culture will create the outcome. Let me say that again. If we create the culture, the culture will create the outcome. So what is culture exactly? Culture is the set of beliefs, the norms, the values of an organization. It's the ideas and the energy that are are expected and accepted. It's what's honored. It's what's acted upon. It's what's taught amongst the members of a group. It's the way things are done. It's the way things are done. It's the whys. It's the hows. It's the what's. The culture is the glue that takes individual people and solidifies them together in a movement of the same direction. Culture is in many ways like the immune system of an organization. If you think about an immune system, like in your immune system, if the immune system is functioning properly, it's going to keep out all of the bad, right? Now, the bad might get in there, but it's going to force out the bad. It's going to maintain the good, and it's going to allow the body to grow into all that it was supposed to become. If your immune system is not functioning appropriately, the bad gets in, but it doesn't go away. And eventually, the bad actually can take over the good and kill the organism. And that's what happens with bad cultures. When cultures are not created on purpose, they are created by default. And default cultures eventually lead to destruction. Default leads to destruction. And so we've got to make sure like a great immune system that our culture is functioning properly. All organizations have a culture, but few have a culture on purpose. And so I want you to understand something. Healthy cultures don't grow by default. They simply do not create themselves. You cannot create a healthy culture for your team, for your organization, for your family, without being purposeful about creating that. Healthy cultures don't grow by default. Healthy cultures are created by leaders. Healthy cultures are created by leaders. Another way to understand what culture is, culture is the environment in which we grow. It's the environment in which we come up in. I want you to imagine a seed for me. I want you to imagine a seed. Maybe it's an acorn like from an oak tree. And if you plant that seed in the, you know, 
nutrient-rich soil of Michigan, per se, right? And it gets buried and the squirrels leave it alone. Well, the, the nutrients in this soil are, are ripe for oak tree uh, growth. They're just exactly what it needs. The weather system is exactly what oak trees require to grow. And so you're given the right sunlight, given the right amount of water, that acorn is going to grow really, really well. It's going to grow and do exactly what it was supposed to become because its environment allows it to grow. Now, I want you to imagine planting that exact same seed, that exact same acorn, okay, in the desert sands of the Sahara. No water. It's far too hot. There's no cold season where the tree is allowed to uh, you know, uh, jettison its leaves and start again. And that same exact seed with all of the promise of a mighty oak inside never, ever begins to grow. Now, it wasn't the seed's problem. It's the exact same seed. The seed had the exact same potential. What allowed the seed to unlock its potential fully was the environment in which that seed was planted. Culture is the environment in which you are planted. And just like that seed, if the culture, if the environment isn't the right environment, it will actually stunt and stop and cease that seed from growing into what it was designed to do. And so the same is true for culture. The same is true for culture. And so whether you're the leader or just a leader inside of an organization, culture matters because it's creating the environment that we will work in and live in. It also sets our limits or it allows us to break our limits. Culture is, is, culture is everything. It is important and it is making the difference between whether we win and lose in many cases. And so let's talk about how is culture created. Remember I talked about at the beginning, culture must be created, defended, and multiplied. So how is culture created? The law of entropy states that things tend towards disorder. This is one of the laws of thermodynamics. It is the law of physics in our physical world. Things tend towards disorder. What does that mean? Things do not naturally order themselves. They become more disorganized over time. So the law of entropy states that things tend towards disorder. Leaders fight against that law. They fight against that disorder and they create order out of chaos. Okay, and so culture is created when a leader or a small group of leaders decides to work against the grain of disorder to build something spectacular. Like, think about it like being in a swimming pool with some friends. Think about when you were a little kid, maybe an above the ground swimming pool, and then you were in there with four or five friends, you know, one of those round swimming pools, and somebody gets the idea that they're going to start running around the perimeter of the pool. Well, at first, it's very, very challenging, right? Because there's a lot of resistance from the water. The water is heavy and the water is still. And so you start running along the perimeter and every single step takes a lot of effort and energy because we're fighting against a current, a stationary current. But as you begin to make that lap one lap, then two laps, then three laps, you begin to notice that it's getting easier to continue making those laps because now you've started to create some movement in the current. Now imagine there's four or five of you in the pool and the leader talks the others into running in the same direction. So now we're all running in the same direction around the perimeter of the pool. Eventually we can get a current going that's so strong that it will actually sweep us away. It'll carry us away and we don't have to do anything. 
to maintain that movement. Well, that's like what culture is, right? Culture is a leader or a bunch of leaders running against the grain of what is and beginning to create a movement of energy on its own. The more people running in that same direction, the stronger the current of culture will become, okay? The stronger the current of culture will become. And so cultures like that swimming pool example create momentum and movement within an organization that will literally sweep anybody else that comes into that pool away. And that's the same thing that happens with culture in our organization. See, culture is created by and catalyzed by the leader. You might say, well, Ian, what if I'm not totally in charge? What if I'm not the big boss? What if I'm not the CEO or I'm not the visionary? What if I'm just part of an organization? It does not matter whether you are the leader or a leader. We all have the ability to create culture within our groups. Maybe you're a children's leader at your church. Maybe you are a project manager. Maybe you run a small team of salespeople. Okay, whatever you're running, you have the capacity as the leader of that group, okay, to begin to create your own internal culture. You can begin to create your own internal culture. And so what culture are you creating? What culture are you creating? Remember, great cultures do not create themselves. They're not happening by default. And ultimately, while there are many, many types of cultures that can be, can be created, I believe they can all be uh, organized within two main subcategories, growth cultures and dysfunctional cultures. Growth cultures are cultures that are positive that are empowering, and that like that seed example, are fertile environments for great things to grow. Dysfunctional cultures can be dysfunctional for a lot of different reasons, but ultimately in a dysfunctional culture, the environment is one that actually acts as the restrictor of growth. It actually becomes the limit. And so cultures are always being created, okay? They're always being created, but what are we creating? What are we creating? And many times dysfunctional cultures are created when the leader is incongruent, right? When the leader, uh, when their life, when their example, when their actions are incongruent with what they say they believe, what they espouse, that creates some dysfunctional culture, right? When what we do is not the same as what we say, people begin to doubt and distrust what we say. And when you, when you create a culture of doubt and cynicism, that's a dysfunctional culture, right? It also happens when leaders become self-centered and eye-focused instead of team-focused. It can also happen when leaders are non-confrontational, when they're unwilling to address the challengers to the culture, when they're unwilling to address the challengers to the culture. So I'm going to go through a couple of different things that I see all the time in the cultures of different groups uh, and juxtapose them. You know, I see in some groups a culture of ownership, and in other groups, the opposite culture, which would be a culture of victimhood. A culture of ownership is where people own what they've done wrong. They own their failures. They own their misgivings. They own the things that, that they didn't expect to happen. And in a culture of ownership, we are free to fail because when we fail, we know that failure isn't final. We know we're going to learn the lesson from that failure. We're going to fail forward. We're going to get the lesson, the, the, the seed of the solution inside of that failure. And so ownership cultures, everybody owns their, their weight. Everybody pulls their weight. Everybody's responsible for what they do or don't do. And this is a really empowering culture because when nobody's afraid of failure, you can be really, really creative. You can constantly push the limits of what's possible. And ownership cultures 
they create that. Victimhood cultures on the other uh, side actually stagnate growth because nobody wants to own the failure. They want to blame it. I wasn't resourced enough. It was their fault. It was the program's fault. It was my manager's fault. They don't give us enough freedom. And it's really a blame culture. And we cannot fix what we do not own. We cannot fix what we do not own. And, and so when we allow a culture of people passing the buck and passing responsibilities from one person to the next person to the next person, we stagnate growth because we don't learn the lesson from the loss. And when we don't learn the lesson from the loss, we see losses as negative. We see them as things to avoid at all costs. We don't want to be blamed for doing something wrong. And we don't want to be looked at as a failure because it's not a safe space to fail because there is no ownership. We stop taking risks. When we stop taking risks, we stop innovating. That's a culture of ownership versus a culture of victimhood. I see cultures of honor and respect versus cultures of entitlement, right? And a culture of honor and respect, uh, everybody Everybody gives people their own space, right? They give people their own space. They operate with respect for the people that have been there uh, longer for the value that people have, right? A culture of entitlement really says, you know, how are you going to serve me, right? How are you going to, what am I entitled to here? Well, that's not really my job responsibility, right? Well, that's not really my duty. And everybody's very self-focused. What do I get out of this? Not what do I bring to it? When we have a culture, of honor and respect, we not only honor and respect individuals, but we honor and respect the team. We honor and respect the culture. We honor and respect the vision. We honor and respect the entity in the organization. And when we have that honor and respect, we're not really looking so much for what do I get out of this, but what do I bring to contribute to this? And that moves the organization forward. It moves the organization forward. Uh, I've seen cultures of special deals versus cultures of solid foundations. You know, when you can politic your way to the top, okay, when you can get information on others and use it to, to leverage your way uh, to a different promotion, uh, you know, if it's you know, who you know and making sure that you're buddy-buddy with the right people, that culture of special deals really disenfranchises good, honest, hardworking people who want to be treated based on their merit, right? On their merit. That would be a merit-based, solid foundation culture. When people know what to expect and how to win the game, they will play the game to win. When people know what to expect and how to play the game, they will play the game to win. And a culture of special deals, people who, who can talk their way into something, people who can complain their way into something. You see that? If I just raise a big enough bus... They'll give me what I want. When you allow people to complain their way in, or sometimes you see people who are uh, recognized or even promoted for being problematic, right? It's like, well, we don't like them here. Let's get them out of here. How do we get them out of here? We promote them. When you get a deal, a, a, a culture of special deals where people can figure out ways to advance within the culture without having to live the culture, you disenfranchise the people that do live that culture. Imagine this. Imagine that it was, you know, th that a certain group of people was treated in one way, right? And then another group of people doing the same thing was treated fundamentally different, right? Well, you're going to disenfranchise that, uh, that other group of people. You've got to treat people the same way. People need to know the rules to the game so they're free to play the game to win, okay? Uh, empowering versus disempowering cultures. Empowering cultures are one in which trust is given, 
and mistrust is earned, okay? Empowering cultures are cultures where we give people the freedom to fail. We give people the freedom to innovate. We give people the freedom to try. And we look and judge based on their their not their efforts, but their outcomes, right? Their outcomes. We empower people. We also empower people within a culture to make corrections, to enforce that culture, to make leadership decisions uh, where it doesn't always have to go way up the line. Empowering cultures give people a sense of ownership. They also give people a sense of importance because they feel valued. They feel like I have the capability to make decisions. What I'm doing here matters. A disempowering culture is one in which we do not provide trust. Trust needs to be earned. Distrust is automatic. And when people don't feel trusted, they don't feel valued. When they don't feel valued, they simply will not give their best to your organization. Are you operating from a culture of empowerment and trust? Or are you operating from a culture of, of disempowerment and distrust? And you may say, well, Ian, you don't understand, right? I've trusted people before. And they've harmed me. They did me wrong. Okay, and listen, people are people, but we can't blame it on them. We must look in inward. We've got to own it. We can't be a victim of other people. We've got to own it. Say, well, maybe I'm not very good at hiring trustworthy people. Maybe I'm not a great teacher of trustworthiness. Maybe I need to get better at those things. Okay, what about collaborative cultures versus top-down cultures? The best cultures, the cultures that are able to innovate and to adapt quickly, which, by the way, are the cultures today that are not just surviving, they're thriving, okay? The ability to adapt and to innovate quickly is probably the most valuable thing that we can create in our cultures today. And collaborative cultures foster that, right? Where everybody's ideas are valuable, where the best ideas win, regardless of who or where they came from. And so few organizations operate like this. They're not taking advice and input from their frontline field force. They're not taking, uh, you know, they're they're not allowing those people to innovate. They're creating these top-down management-driven ideas, management-driven initiatives. And then they're trying to force those ideas that are removed from the point of sale, they're removed from the point of customer service, they're removed from the point of reality, and they try to, it's it's sort of like, uh, you know, we know what's best and you're going to go along with it versus, hey, we think you know what's best because you're dealing with this day in and day out. Are you creating a collaborative culture where everybody feels valued? In my organization, uh, one of my organizations, we have something we call a dream team. And that dream team is a, a cross segment of people who lead different organizations within the main organization. Uh, they are in different geographies. They have very, very different personality types. They view that business many times in very, very different ways. And we have a sounding panel and we meet once a week for the sole reason to collaborate, to find what's working in their worlds and to create the very best adaptive, ingenuitive ideas to move the whole organization forward. This versus a top-down culture. Top-down culture says, I know what's best. We don't need your input. We're going to take my input, right? It's like if it's not invented here, it's not worth anything, okay? We've got to learn to create powerful, positive, okay, growth-based cultures. And so understand, okay, understand this. You're going you're gonna to hire for culture and you're going to train for skill. I want to hire people that are going to fit my culture and I'll train them on the, on the how-tos, but I need to make sure that they fit. 
inside that culture, okay? Think about inclusive versus exclusive cultures, right? Our job is to include people and involve the people within our organizations quickly into the critical mass of culture building, right? Because if they're not building the culture, they're going to be taking away from that culture. So how is culture defended? How is, so we've, we build a culture. How is culture defended? Remember, things are always tending towards disorder. Like freedom, freedom is not free and it requires an eternal vigilance to defend. So in the same way is culture. Once it's set up, it is not there on autopilot. If you stop running the laps in the pool, eventually the pool water stills again. And so one of the leader's primary jobs is to nurture and to defend the culture. Understand, there is no neutral when it comes to culture. You are either adding to it or you're taking away from it, okay? And so how do we defend the culture? Step number one is leaders leading out of alignment. The number one defense of our culture is to embody the culture, okay? Is there a discrepancy between what we say we value and what we actually value through our actions, okay? Uh, I want to use an example that I just experienced with Ritz-Carlton. You know, the Ritz-Carlton has a, it's what they're known for, obviously, world-class properties, but more than anything is unbelievable customer service. That is part of their culture. They value customer service. And so I, uh, I was invited to go golfing with a new friend of mine uh, who is a member at the uh, Ritz-Carlton Golf Club and Beach Club. And so we went out to his club. And as soon as I pulled in, the people knew my name. They knew they were waiting. Are you Mr. Pruckner? Oh, fantastic. Okay. Mr. So-and-so will be waiting for you. He's here. Can we help you? When I walked into the clubhouse, you must be Mr. Pruckner, right? I'm like, I've never met you before. Okay. The service was just impeccable. They knew exactly what my host wanted, how they wanted everything done. I mean, the amount of study that they had put into studying their client, their consumer, to make their experience absolutely flawless, to attend to them. In such a way, I, I mean, I felt important there. And I was just his guest, right? And so they embody the culture at the Ritz-Carlton of customer service. It's not something they say, it's who they are, okay? One of the quickest ways to defend culture is to embody it. Number two, the, the second way that you can defend culture is to recognize what you want, is to recognize what you want. One of the quickest ways to mold and move your culture is by recognizing what you want. When you recognize people, you will get more of what you recognize. And most people, most organizations, most leaders only recognize people when they're doing something wrong. They're quick to find their faults and to point them out and to correct them. And they need to be corrected. But rather than only using recognition as a negative reinforcement, great leaders who create great cultures understand the power of positive reinforcement. They catch people in the act of doing something right, and they praise them publicly. Folks, listen, you praise publicly, you criticize privately, and that's opposite of most command and control cultures, right, where they, they create and lead by fear. No, listen, you will not get the best out of your people. Leading by fear, command, and control. You get your very best out of your people when your people feel like they have safety to be themselves and that they can go after what they want and that they're going to be praised for what they do right. And they're going to be criticized privately for what they do wrong. And so we've got to learn to recognize 
what we want. We've got to learn to recognize what we want. The third way to defend culture is by creating herd immunity, by teaching the culture so well that when people inside of the organization act against the standards of our culture, that everybody is caught off guard by that, that, that not just leaders, but the average people within the organization will defend the culture, okay? And you do that by empowering them to correct. You let them know what, what we do here, this, this, and this makes us special. And when you see people that aren't living up to our standards, you have the, you're empowered to, to help them live those standards. You're empowered to help them see a better way. And so what happens is, when it's, think about gossip, for example. You know, gossip goes where it grows, okay? And so if you teach your people that we don't talk bad about people, and they go and try to gossip to so-and-so, say, you know what, I really don't want to hear that. In fact, let's go take it to them if you have a problem. So they say, well, that's not going to work. So they go to Henry over here, and Henry says, you know what, we don't do that here. Uh, I appreciate you have a problem. Can I take you to this person you have a problem with? Go, oh my gosh, what's going on here? They tried a third time, and they're shut down. Pretty quickly, they get the idea that this is not tolerated here. Okay, so empowering your people to empower others, to live the culture is important. Empowering them to correct when necessary is important because what isn't corrected is condoned, okay? Strong cultures repel weak people. Let me say that again. Strong cultures repel weak people. And in an organization, we are only as strong as our weakest link. We want to have a system that repels weak people and, and retains great people. And a great culture, a strong culture does that. Great cultures keep great people. Toxic cultures eventually repel great people. And all that's left is a, cis, a cesspool of dysfunction. So how do we multiply culture? How is culture multiplied? Culture is a multiplier. It teaches people so that they don't need to be taught individually. Once you get that momentum going in the pool, anybody that comes into the pool gets swept into that, that natural momentum regardless, and they get taken in the direction the culture is leading them. Culture is multiplied primarily by maintaining a critical mass, okay? Studies show that for an idea or a movement to take place, there's got to be about 20 to 30% inside of a core that moves that, that moves that, uh, that moves that number, that moves that mass, okay? And so critical mass is about creating a culture, right, of people who believe in and live out the values and the tenets of that culture, and about 30% of the organization needs to be sold out to that. Leaders are constantly moving people into those inner circles of critical mass for cultural creation, right? So understand that culture is a form of the leader's influence really being omnipresent, okay? And so we, we multiply culture by living it out and by empowering and inviting others to live it out with us. So listen, let's go through some power thoughts really quickly. Number one, Power thought. Culture is always going to be present, okay? It's always going to be there. We're either going to create it on purpose or we're going to be ruled by it by default. Number two power thought is a leader's job is to envision and embody the culture of the organization, not just to create the vision, but to be and to live the vision. Number three power thought when it comes to culture is you build the culture and the culture builds the results. We cannot long range outrun our culture because when we're, when we're long gone, the beliefs, the values, and the things that we've created in our, in our culture will allow us to continue to influence the organizations we've built, even from beyond the grave. 
Culture matters. Let's talk some power beliefs, right? Number one, cultures don't build themselves. They require engineering effort and vigilance. They require engineering effort and vigilance. We've got to create them on purpose. And once we've created them, we've got to be willing to defend them. Number two, culture is the multiplication of the leader's values throughout the organization. Okay, it, it, it is the shadow of the leader. And so a dysfunctional culture often comes from leaders who are leading dysfunctionally. Number three is poor cultures never keep great people. And people are the difference maker. People will always be, it's not technology. It's not an insight. It's not a process or a product. People are the number one asset of any organization. And poor cultures never keep great ones. Let's talk about some power actions. Ia, what do I do? Number one, here's the number one thing I want you to do. I want you to write down three brands that you admire. And I want you to write down what are they known for? Like Ritz-Carlton and customer service. What are three brands that inspire you? And what are they primarily known for? That is a piece of their culture, okay? That is a piece of those culture. What are the values that those things that, that are held for those things to be created. How did they create them? So what are you doing? You're, you're looking at the, the pieces of culture that you like and thinking through how they were created. Step number two in power actions. What are the values that matter to you and what's your winning edge? What are the values that matter to you and what's your winning edge? Write them down. Are you living them? And power action number three is are you living these values out are you modeling them? Are you sharing them with others? Are you recognizing others who are living those values as well? And I want you to write down what's one value that you'd like to have, or maybe you say that you have. But right now, it's merely words. It's only talk. It hasn't converted into action. And to begin to take action, begin to take action on those values. Guys, this is culture shock, culture shock. We create the culture. The culture creates our success. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for listening. I want to invite you to connect with me further. You can find me on Instagram at Ian Pruckner, or you can text the word Pruck, P-R-U-K, to 484848 for exclusive access to some incredible bonus content and an entire suite of tools to help you along your journey to success. Until next time.